Hi, I'm Jeff Brazier, and this is the NL Full Time Podcast. Welcome to this week's NL Full Time Podcast. And if the podcast was a bag this week, it'd be bursting at the seams because we have so much for you. Joining me to review everything and have a quick look over everything that's happened over the past seven days and even the last 24 hours, stuff's been happening all the time. I've got Chris Pratt. Hello, Chris. Hello, Luke. And also on the phone, we have. Dickie. Hello, Dickie Orton. Hello there, Luke. Nice to speak to you again. Rob will be joining us later on with his National League South roundup. We'll go back to midweek, first of all. Uh, I was at Barnet versus Aldershot. Vital win for Barnet. Uh, Aldershot deeper in the mire. And after the game, I caught up with Darren Curry to speak about his side's 2-0 win. So I'm here with Darren Curry for the NL Full-Time Podcast. And Darren, 2-0 win. Hard fought in the end, wasn't it? Yeah, and I've, I've just said... That, you know, I felt Aldershot handled the ball better than us tonight. They, they they looked a bit more composed in possession. We looked a little bit nervy at times with the ball, which is which is unlike us, to be fair. But you know, we we've managed to find a way of winning, and we've scored two cracking goals, which is very pleasing. And we've kept a clean sheet, which is, mm. I believe, our fourth on the on the spin now. So, bits to be positive about, but bits that we need to improve on still. There's no doubt. I could tell that we were sat near the dugout and you were really frustrated first half, weren't you? Because percentage-wise, Aldershot probably had a lot of possession, but you defended really, really well and you built on that result from against Salford on Saturday, didn't you? Yeah, and it, it is frustrating because it's out of character. We normally handle the ball well. We, we normally move the ball around with, with confidence and quality and, and we didn't quite manage to do that. Um, we, a lot of sloppy balls were going astray and we couldn't find any stride or any cohesion in what we was trying to do and Aldershot had the better of the first half there's no doubt about it but like I say we've we found a way of winning tonight with two cracking goals. You came out the box really quick in the second half I think it was about 30 seconds in and obviously got the response that you wanted from a half time and it gave you that platform then didn't it? Well goals always change games as we know and you know we, we spoke about a couple of things at half time and and thankfully one thing that was mentioned by by the group was was played out for the first goal so that was really pleasing and then to get the second one and, and hold on for the clean sheet makes it a very pleasing evening fantastic second goal as well we were right behind it as soon as it was in wasn't it yeah. no and he's got that he, he he likes that one he likes to sort of curl it and use the use the defender as a mannequin as, as I say in training but you know it was a wonderful finish straight in the top corner and credit to him he, he worked his socks off tonight Shaq and he got his reward in the end takes you to 49 points do you think that's you safe or do you think maybe another win will do it I think another win maybe maybe another draw uh, in terms of points but you know I want to I want to keep this run going through to the end of the season now and, and finish as high as possible. How have you found it? You obviously first managerial job. You stepped in, had that great FA Cup run, and then you've kind of had a few ups and downs. How have you found your first sort of real role in management? Oh, it's been challenging, but you know I, I would expect nothing different. Yeah. You know, you know I'm working with a group of players that you know I, I've inherited. You know I, I was here under John Steele anyway, but um, it's a group of players that I've inherited, and, and to be fair, they've they've responded a lot. To, and responded well to what I've asked them to do, but it's been it has been a bit of a roller coaster. There's no doubt about it. But we've had some real highs and a couple of real lows that have been difficult to take. But slowly but surely, finding a, a level playing field and a, and a level of consistency now that that makes the job all the more pleasing. And I suppose now you can start to plan for next season and really give it a good go next year now. Why have you spoke to the chairman? <laughs> nothing like that to me. Ah, oh, okay. No, I mean, listen. <clears throat> I'm sure once we get the points on the board that uh, allows us to 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 look forward, you know, we'll sit down and have a conversation, and, and between us, we'll work out how we're going to take the club forward. Excellent. Best of luck for us this season. Appreciate it. That was Barnet manager Darren Curry, and a really vital win, as he said, for them. He feels like they need one more win, and maybe or maybe another point for all the shot. As I said, keep leaving deep in the mire. They did have a good goal disallowed at 1-0 and they maybe feel a bit hard done by. But somebody who had mixed emotions on the evening was Barnet skipper Callum Reynolds. He, he played for Aldershot last year, skippered them manfully towards the playoffs and this year was at Barnet. And I saw him have a hug with Gary Waddock after the game and, and a long chat. So just after they'd finished that chat, I, uh, I had a quick word with him. So I'm here with Callum Reynolds after uh, Barnet's sooner win over Aldershot and... Callum must be mixed emotions for a good win for Barnet, but obviously your old side, I can see it kind of, you just embrace with Gary Waddett there and a lot of time for Aldershot as well. No, definitely. Um, I said before the game, I weren't really looking forward to it. 
because whatever the result would have been a sad one. Obviously, if yeah. we'd have lost, that'd have been annoyed. I'd have been gutted, disappointed. Yeah. And the same way with one, I'm gutted for the for the lads at Aldershot and uh, the gaffer there. But it's football. It's you got to kind of take emotions out of it. And also, once the game's going on, you want to play to win. So, strange game to play in, definitely. Does that go through your head when you're challenging? You think, oh god, it's like it's Scott Rendell. Like, oh, I'll do this and I'm going to have to clatter him. <laughs> I don't think so, but I think I kind of know him as a player and the boys, like I said, you know him as players, so obviously you you know what they're good at and know what they're not and try and take advantage of it. Um, but it's, uh, nah, more, it's, once you play in your head sort of in a neutral space, well, I felt that way anyway. Um, good result, once it four clean sheets, now you're built on that result at Salford. Uh, vital, really, I was just asking Darren Curry if you think you're safe, he thinks maybe one more win, but you're virtually there now, aren't you, I think? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's not it's not nice to talk like that, yeah. but it's yeah. The reality is, another win, I think, will be safe. And then, obviously, want to finish the season strong. Uh, don't want to let it just kind of um, fizzle out because it can give you a springboard going into next season. How's it How's it been for you this season? Obviously, new club, new environment, a bit of a stop-start season, but you're getting a run of games now, aren't you? Yeah, frustrating. I mean. <laughs> I fractured my back in pre-season, which wasn't ideal. Ow. <laughs> so, yeah, I missed sort of the first nearly three months of the season. And obviously it's tough coming back in because I, I couldn't really do anything mm-hmm. uh, with the injury as well. So it took me time to build up to get back to fitness. Then I broke my hand as well, which, again, frustrating. Um, missed another month. But now getting a string of games together now, um, feeling and feeling confident. And like you said, getting some good results and clean sheets, we, we are, which is... A, a good foundation, um, especially in this league, in any league, to go and get results. I mean, you look at the facilities here, it's a great stadium, isn't it? I mean, it's just a shame you can't get more people. You could send the frustration away in the first half, but then you got that second goal right at the start, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we weren't good in the first half, but we knew they couldn't keep that press up for 90 minutes. And, um, yeah, a good bit of quality to get us in for the first goal. And then a great individual finish for the second. Maybe could have been more. But it was enough to, enough to get the win, yeah. Does it hold that you and Che are in this side and you know how Aldershot and Gary's teams play and you know you know how they're going to pass it around so you know how you can set up then? <sighs> Didn't look that way first half. <laughs> so we couldn't stop yeah. them. But yeah, we know that's how they want to play. And I think everyone does. And obviously teams talk, managers talk. Um, but obviously we got away with it. They had a good chance first half that they didn't take. And I think the longer the game went on, they're going to get they're going to get frustrated and uh, it will start to open up for us to get chances. And uh, yeah, luckily we took them and got the win. Callum best up for the rest of the season. And that was Barnet skipper Callum Reynolds and Barnet. They followed up the victory over all the shot with a well-earned point against Leighton Orient, although Leighton Orient had a last-minute goal disallowed. It looked like they nicked all three points in the fifth minute of stoppage time. However, it wasn't to be. Coupled with Salford getting a last-minute winner in exactly the same minute, the 95th minute, and Wrexham losing, it was a, another up-and-down day, Chris, wasn't it, in the National League? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's the league that keeps on giving, isn't it, this one? Because... If Leighton Orient had scored that last that last minute goal, or it had been allowed, and Salford City didn't get those two late goals, not just the one, they got two late goals in their game, then I think we might have been talking about Leighton Orient almost being home and hosed. They're not far off. They've they've got those two games in hand on Salford, Solihull, and Wrexham, but. Um, it's still beginning to look like it's their league to lose now, and it's taken a long time for it to look like that. But had those last instances in those games gone another way, it, we may have been having a different conversation. Can we rule Wrexham out now, do you think, guys? I don't think so, no. I don't think you can rule anyone out. They've got five games um, still to play, and they're only three points behind Solihull and four behind Salford. So I don't think you can rule them out. They've had a wretched run of form. Uh, they, were okay. they had a good a good few games when uh, when Brian Hughes took over, but they seem to be stumbling in the uh, in the last few games, and certainly going down to to Ebbsfleet. Yes, well, with a few problems that I'm sure we'll we'll talk about that Ebbsfleet have had was a was a massive blow, really. No, I think Wrexham probably a little bit too much to do, and I think it, it, if they were going to pick Leighton Orient, it would take Orient actually losing some matches, and that's something they haven't looked like doing. Pretty much all season, I think they've only lost six. And I think yesterday, the the goalless draw with Barnet was probably the first game in a while that they haven't actually collected maximum points from. So I, I think it would look. I think Orient would have to slip if if Wrexham were going to do it. And and realistically, they don't look like doing that. 
Yeah, talking of, of Ebsley, as Chris said, there was a, a bizarre situation down there yesterday where basically they arrived at the ground to be told they wouldn't be paid from April onwards. All the contracts of players would be transfer listed. So the players refused to warm up. However, they then went and met the owner and some sort of agreement was made and he went out and beat Wrexham 4-2. So maybe they should just not warm up every week, Chris. That's unbelievable, isn't it? What an unbelievable situation. And then to go out and win the game, well, that's that's something else. So I think what you, I think you've really got to give those players credit for for going back in and knuckling down and beating one of the promotion chasers. Unbelievable. I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? That um, it's difficult to to really know what goes on inside the club. Um, we only we only hear what gets leaked and what gets put out in in proper statements. But for the performance on the pitch yesterday. Unbelievable, and do you know what? They're still in with a chance of a playoff spot. Indeed, they are. And it, it's almost like I wonder if it's a case of right. One will go out and show the owner, and two almost putting themselves in a the shop window because they were three 0 up at half time and they battered Wrexham in that first half. And it was almost like a siege mentality in a way, wasn't it? Yeah, well, they're they're, they're playing for each other, weren't they? They're probably playing for each other, playing for the fans. And they, I mean, it takes remarkable strength of um, strength of mind, I think, doesn't it, to put those off-field things to one side or use it to fuel your performance because that's certainly what it what they did yesterday. Yeah, I think with it, it happening so late in the season, it's quite realistic that Ebsfleet can continue getting some good results. I often think when these kind of things happen that players do pull together and, and, and pull a little closer and, you know, you, you can achieve some results against the odds and that was certainly one that you would have said yesterday with all the things that were stacked up against them before the game. Whether they could sustain that over a longer period... Um, we don't know, but they're not going to have to do that because there isn't that much longer left in the season. But um, yeah, there's, there's clearly things going on there at Ebbsfleet, which you know we're not fully aware of and you don't have both sides of the story. But but full credit to the players. That was a tremendous performance. Also, though, what a, what a difficult situation for Wrexham to be in as well. I mean, they must have been aware of uh, of what was going on and then there was an announcement before the game and everything. And they, it's probably quite unsettling for them to... What a strange situation to be uh, to be put in as well, and I wonder whether it affected them. Quite possibly so. I mean, as you know, professionals, you would think that Wrexham would probably have some sympathy for them. That's not going to extend to wanting to, to give them the points, but yeah, how that might affect their mindset going into the game. They might think, oh well, you know, Ebbsfleet aren't going to be particularly up for this. Their minds are going to be somewhere else. And then they get taken by surprise, you know, with did Wrexham slacken off a little bit because of that? I guess only they could tell us, to be perfectly honest. Um, and, and even if they did, they're probably not going to admit to it. Yeah, Brian Hughes didn't actually use that as an excuse in his post-match interview. He just said they're going through a bad run at the minute. So it's, it's just one of those things, I think. A set of fans who can actually probably say to Ebbsfleet fans, hold my beer a minute, because they've had a tormentous season off the pitch as well. As Gates said, and it's been an up and down season for them both on and off the pitch, and it's been even more eventful in the last week or so, and the last 24 hours. And a man who's been keeping abreast of events is North East-based journalist Mark Carruthers. Hello, Mark. Hi there. So, Mark, the news broke on Friday morning that Gates would have been kicked out of the International Stadium or being asked to leave because of various debts and things like that. Then they had some brighter news in the afternoon, didn't they, when former Rochdale chairman Chris Dunphy headed up a consortium to buy the club. It's been, it's been fair to say it's been quite eventful for Gateshead this season, hasn't it? <laughs> it has, and, and the sad thing is when you look at it, uh, on the pitch, everything's just, just flying at the moment. I mean, no one expected them to be where where they are in the league, you know, they're still very real playoff contenders. But off the pitch, it's just been a bit of a mess. Obviously, the playing squad's been cut down to the bone. Uh, they're functioning with 16 players at the moment. Well, 15 because Mike Williamson's uh, suspended uh, right now. But it's a young squad uh, with, a, with a couple of experienced players, but they've, they've coped admirably. But they haven't been helped by the owners of the club. You know, players have been sold uh, against their wishes. There's just been cuts going on everywhere around the club. And uh, I think a certain degree of that, if I can try and put a bit of balance on it, was needed. There was a, a need to cut the expenditure at the club. Um, but the way it's been done has been detrimental to the club as a whole as well. Um, it had to come to a head. Um, and I think it needed a push. Uh, around two weeks ago, I was told that there was, uh, there was interest from Chris Dunphy in, in, in buying the club. He came up for a, for a visit. He was shown around the International Stadium. Uh, by Ben Clock, the Gateshead manager, 
Um, and I think that only sort of ramped up his interest in buying the club. Things came to a head really this week. Um, I broke the news on Wednesday that Chris was interested in, in buying the club. Mm. Um, then on Friday morning, I was set to go. Well, I, I went over to the International Stadium to cover um, a story where the supporters club, the, the newly formed uh, Gateshead Soul Independent Supporters Association, they bought the players uh, food packs to take down to Braintree. Uh, for the game that took place on Saturday, so went over there with the intentions of of doing a you know a kind, kind of positive news piece, uh, supporters uh, standing in and, and, and buying stuff for the for the players because the club couldn't afford to, and I got to the stadium to find uh, employees packing up boxes and uh, being escorted uh, from the premises by by uh, council employees. Um, because the council had uh, taken action over an unpaid rent bill that was due. It, well, there was an agreement that it would be paid on Wednesday. Um, but obviously, as of Friday morning, still hadn't been paid. So mm. um, there is no blame what, whatsoever held the Water Council. They've been excellent in this, and and they've said that we um, they're, they're really keen to stress that it was the uh, the company Gateshead Football Club company that's being kicked out of the stadium, not the football club. There's no kind of worries about them not not seeing out the season. There's no concerns about the home games. I think we've got four home games left. They will all take place at the stadium, but the club's employees cannot function from within the stadium, so they, they can't work in the stadium, simple as that, and neither can uh, Joseph Carla, who is the club's, uh, club's controversial financial advisor, yeah. so he, he can't work there either. Um, so it, it, it's sad, but and, and it was horrible to see people who I know and who I've, you know, I like to think I'm, I'm good friends with now, kind of been leaving the premises like that. Joseph Callow was escort, escorted away from the premises, and and then hit the next we heard of him was that he was in a meeting uh, with with Chris Dunphy. Uh, that that meeting started, I think, at about half one, one o'clock, um, and by three o'clock, uh, Chris Dunphy came into the room where I was sat uh, with Dominic, the press officer, and Alicia, the the general manager. And uh, told us that the they had agreed a deal in principle uh, with Joseph Carla uh, and Dr. Ranjan Van Gizi, who is the owner of the club, to to buy Gateshead. Um, and at the moment, it's in the hands of the legal teams, which is important to say the deal isn't done. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's far from done, but it is uh, heading towards that. The enthusiasm of the the the, the, well, the potential owners to buy the club and the willingness of the current owners to get out i think it'll happen quickly so uh i'd like to give you a short answer there but i think i've rambled for about three minutes but it's been a lot it's been a lot to cover it originally they put the club up for sale for a for a pound so i presume it's a case of chris dunphy buying it for a pound and taking on whatever debts the club have yeah that sounds about right although there was quite a joke made yesterday that they hadn't handed over the pound yet which is quite funny it is a case of the they are aware of what the debt is i believe and uh that the debt is slightly higher than what they thought it would be at first uh, but they seem comfortable with that. They are working with the authorities. I was there when, when Chris had a, a telephone conversation with Mike Tattersall from the National League uh, with a view to, you know, kind of setting the wheels in motion from that side of things. And the FA are aware of it. So, you know, things are moving forwards. And, and I had a good chat with Chris and there are exciting plans for the club. I don't think anyone should expect that this is going to be a case of all of a sudden a new owner is going to come in and Gateshead are going to be paying out, you know, tens of thousands of pounds on players to to give them a, a chance of reaching the, the Football League next season. But it will be uh, carefully managed. It'll be done in a way that is sustainable. There'll be no outlandish spends. The community will get involved. I mean, one of the big things at Rochdale that he spoke about was uh, the community side of the club was really uh, fundamental to what they tried to achieve. And I think that'll be the same at Gateshead. Yeah, and I think as well, people know who Chris Dunphy are and what he's done at Rochdale. It's not like it's somebody unknown and people going, well, who's this guy? He's yeah. got a track record of doing what he's done with Rochdale on a minimum budget, with them being successful as well, getting him up to League One. And he's got a really good track record of helping out smaller clubs and getting them sustainable and also getting them progressing as well. Yeah, and, and, and the one thing that came through from when I had a chat with him was his, his warmth. He, he seems a really like likable character, vastly knowledgeable about the football business. Clearly, doesn't suffer fools. You know, he he, he knows uh, what what's needed basically, and and I think that's going to be exactly what Gator need. I think it's it's a good few years since probably since Graham Wood was there that they've had a chairman who really knows and understands the business of football. Um, and I think I think Chris Dunphy will that'll be his biggest asset. And, and take it over gate said he'll, he'll give them someone who knows the business who won't be um you know led down the garden path by people he will uh, get them on the right track he will move the club forward and one person we haven't mentioned so far really is ben clark the, the manager who's done a, a fine job building on the work of 
of Steve Watson. I know uh, Chris and Ben have met, and Chris really admires Ben. He, he seems to be very keen to work with Ben uh, going forward. So it's all positives, and you know, we should say the supporters have been through the through the ringer a bit this season. They haven't had it easy, uh, but they've rallied around and they've they pulled together. And, and you know, you hope for their sakes that there is a a brighter future ahead now. Well, we speak to Jeff a lot, Jeff Kent. We call him Superfan, Gateshead Superfan. He just goes <laughs> everywhere and watches him. But he said the big the big thing from this year was he's, he's never felt so proud of the team this season yeah. with everything that's gone on and, and the bond between the fans and the supporters and, and the situation that's been happening seems to have brought them together even stronger, like you say, with, with them providing food for him to go down to Braintree with. It's, it's been one of the big sort of heartwarming stories in Northeast football this season is seeing the link between the players and obviously when you know the the lads are travelling down to games on a Saturday on a Saturday morning. They travel down to Dover on the Saturday morning, whereas other clubs have been having overnight stays, and it's it's not easy. And to, if you look at their away record as well, it, it's a phenomenal away record. It's 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 just bizarre that things like that have happened, and it's it's kind of uh, success and adversity sort of thing. But the supporters, yeah, you can see it when you go there. The players appreciate what the supporters do for them. The supporters appreciate the clubs that lead them, the players' efforts. Um, there's a lovely bond, and the players are willing to stay around after games and talk to talk to the supporters. It's probably the, the foundations that a stronger Gateshead will be built upon. Um, and I think, if anything good can come out of what has been a, an absolute mess of a season off the pitch, it will be that going forwards with Chris Dunphy at the helm, the club will be together in a way that it hasn't been for a number of years now. And finally, just before we let you go, Mark, you said about the playoffs is a big ash, but is it doable, do you think? Can Gates gate crash the playoffs and then go on and be successful in them? I, I don't see why not. Um, I think there's more arguments to, to suggest that they can than why they can't. And, and one of the big ones is the team spirit. This this team just never knows when it's beaten. Very, I don't think they've been they've been hammered in any game this season so far. They've always kept themselves in games until the you know the last minutes. Yeah, I don't see why not. They've got they've got obviously home games coming up against the likes of Fylde, uh, which which are going to be big tests, and that will ultimately define where they finish. I'm going to say yes purely because I think what's happening now is that they they'll. This will galvanise them, you know, getting a new owner and a bit of new emphasis, uh, and getting the uh, the kind of uh, the negativity out of the way that was always lingering with Joseph Carler and uh, and Ranjan in charge. It's it's kind of that's gone now. They can focus on what's coming ahead. So I think they'll get in the playoffs. Do I think they'll win the playoffs? If I'm honest, no. But for Gateshead, the one thing I'll, I'll leave it with is they were tipped as as relegation favourites at the start of the season. They were tipped as. You know they were, they were barely going to win again because they had this young skeleton squad. So to be even talking about the playoffs shows what a wonderful achievement it's been by the likes of Steve Watson and Ben Clark this season. Excellent. Well, Mark, uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, of course, we wish Gates had uh, the best of luck for the season. Thank you. That was Northeast journalist Mark Carruthers, and we'll get on to the result in a minute, Chris. But Gates said, I mean, I must admit, I had a big smile on my face when I saw the news because. We know from his time at Rochdale, Chris Dunphy, what a great chairman he is and a great owner. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a, it's it's really really positive, isn't it, for for Gateshead with all the all the things that have been going on off the field this season. I think this is one of the the shining lights, and hopefully it means that they can consolidate and they can they can move forward now, and they can move forward with confidence. You're not going to get um, anyone more knowledgeable than, than Mr. Carruthers, who we've just had on. I mean, he's always. He's tweeting so much about Northeast football, so he knows all the ins and outs about the club. And what we know looking in is that Chris Dunphy is a great chairman. I sort of hope for their sake they sort of don't make those player spots, but it gives them a chance to just sort themselves out over the summer, have an extended period of time, and then go again next season. Yeah, you feel that. I think it's a case of they just need to get the feet back on the ground, don't they? And just get themselves sorted, have a, have a bit of a reset almost during the summer, and, and go from there. They, they did lose 2-0 at Braintree in quite a surprising result, and as Mark said, it... That's the one good thing, Chris, about all this. It's brought everyone together. The supporters paid for food for the players so they could go down and eat on the way down there. But And I'm guessing that's kind of going to be kind of it. If they make the playoffs, great. If not, they're just going to enjoy having a club still. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I think they're going to enjoy having a club more, <laughs> to be honest. If they did go, imagine if they got into a situation where they were, um, they were in a playoff final or something like that. It would be unbelievable given everything going off, on, off the field. But... It's also probably not the best thing for them, I think, this season. The, the trip to Braintree yesterday, they probably needed like a hole in the head because we have seen that Braintree can pull up 
pull off upsets in in um, in recent weeks with the long journey and all the expenses that comes with that. It was a difficult one for them yesterday. So I'm sure this morning and come Monday morning, it'll give them a bit more time to to compute where they actually are now and um, and and plan for for going forward. That two 0 win over Gates said by Braintree meant that they actually moved off the bottom of the National League table remarkably. They're replaced by Maidstone. You've got a good draw at Harrogate, but in the end, it wasn't enough to stop them going bottom. And from Harrogate's point of view, Chris, do you think now the playoff challenge has gone up in smoke a little bit? Uh, I don't think the playoff challenge has gone up in smoke. I think the challenge for those sort of golden playoff spots is is not going to happen anymore. Um, they're still well in the playoff spots, the, you know, three points above Ebsley, who we were just talking about earlier. And, you know, we were all we were all quite surprised at the start of the season when Harrogate were blazing a trail up at the top of the league and they were they were beating all comers and um, they were doing so well. But the second half of the season, I haven't looked at the form tables, but I think they'll probably be around mid-table, so they've just been dropping off. If they can hold on for those playoff spots, they'll be absolutely delighted and uh, they'll be disappointed this morning, absolutely no doubt about it, after, um, after only picking up a point at home against what is now the bottom club. Dover got a really good point at Solihull, although they were 2-1 up and again, Again, another late goal as Tyrone Williams pounced in the first minute of stoppage time to get them a valuable point. Gary Wilde wasn't too happy with a couple of refereeing decisions, but praised his team's character as well. Gary Wilde, the assistant manager there at Solihull Moors. And the other the other result as well, which caught my eye, the Halifax, who haven't conceded at the Shea in 2019, they conceded yesterday and they lost at home to Maidenhead, who were on a remarkable run and they're really giving survival a good go. And uh, that's probably one of the results of the day, that. Uh, yeah, no, i definitely say that. Yeah, the problem with Halifax is... They don't normally concede at the Shea, but they very rarely also score at the Shea. And um, that's certainly been their downfall this season. They're, they're safe enough in 14th, though, now. Um, Maidenhead, like you say, you said given, um, giving it a good go to, to stay up. Well, they're, they're absolutely definitely up now, Luke. And I think that if you look at the bottom floor for now, they're so far adrift. And, uh, you know, sorry to say this, because uh, obviously Rob Beard, obviously on this podcast all the time, it's looking those, like those bottom four have gone now. Even Dover are eight points clear. I had a counselling session with Rob on Tuesday, and he's fine, he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, one person who Rob did catch up with was Adam Virgo. BT were covering the game between Aldershot and Fylde, which we'll pass on talking about because it was fair to say it wasn't one that will live in the memory. But uh, before the game, Rob did catch up with BT Sport pundit Adam Virgo on who he thinks will go down and the title race at the top. Now, I've been joined by friend of the podcast, Adam Virgo, just prior to the Aldershot against Fylde game. Two weeks ago, Adam, this game looked well set for the TV cameras, didn't it? With Fylde in with a great chance of the title and Aldershot looking like they might make a fight of relegation but coming into the game and just before it a bit of a damp squib in a way yeah I mean that's sometimes the unfortunate nature and I think that really sums up the league for me that any given week teams can beat each other and there'll be teams on paper that you think will pick up three points and it goes against the grain really so you know we do try and pick out a game that you think has some significance if we had 60 games a season then it would be totally different but the fact we only have 35 um, TV picks can be thinking one week it's going to be that and then the next week it's changed so but listen there's still you know plenty to play for while Aldershot have still got half a chance of, of getting out of relegation which is going to be very very difficult and Fylde you know they want to try and finish second or you know they've still got a chance of the league I know it's going to be very unrealistic but from last year's experience in the playoffs getting that extra game compared to getting to that semi-final it could make or break their season it's interesting because when they got to the playoffs last year file they kind of fluffed their lines a bit in that first half an hour at uh, Borenwood if I remember correctly um, and uh, Challenger drew comparisons with that in the week at Orient when they didn't start the game right they're 2-0 down and some mountain to climb against a side that don't concede many goals yeah and it's um, we had Dave on the show uh, when we were at Harrogate and no, but he, was, he still talks about that now and he, he saw that as a massive, massive learning curve for, um, from last season that you can't go into any game underprepared. You know, I spoke to him as well. Probably today's game's harder for the players to mentally get right than possibly late in Orient. But, you know, they do concede goals at the back every now and then, especially away from home, which I think will give Gary's side a little bit of confidence, even though goals have been a, a real, real struggle for them this season. But the National League's very, very unpredictable. And, um, you know, and today could be a game where all the shot, if they get the first goal, it could be a different game. So filed with a win at Orient in the week, could have gone within three points. It was the uh, eternal six-pointer. They're now nine behind. So realistically, logically, the title chance has gone for them. But uh, 
in those playoffs when you've got a player like Danny Rowe, who in all competitions now has scored 165 goals in less than five seasons. You've always got a chance. Yeah, and he's a player that, if you actually watch him for 90 minutes, it sounds ironic, he doesn't actually bring a lot to the team in terms of maybe his hold-up play. I think he's only got four assists this season. But what he does do, I remember away at Ebbsfleet, didn't do anything all game, scored two goals. And, and that is the difference. You just cannot switch off for one second. And it's testament to him because he, he may go 85 minutes without really doing much. Give him one chance and he'll find the back of the net. And I think for Fylde, if you've got a genuine goal score, I remember being at Brighton, we had Bobby Zamora. You know, we had a, a good side around him, but we knew we had a chance. And if you time things up at the back, which Fylde had probably done this season from probably last year, you've always got a chance and I'm surprised that he's not being spoken about more um, in terms of moving to the Football League he's 29 years old now so you know if he is going to move it may be have to be sooner rather than later but you know Fylde are a very settled club and he seems very very happy in the environment that he's at so it'll take a good offer for him to go but I think at the moment he, he seems happy where he is Final question top and bottom bottom four as they are going down probably yeah I think so it's hard to say that because you know you don't like saying goodbye to, to, to good teams and um, Aldershot being one of them but yeah I, I, I can't really see the bottom four changing and I said Lane Orient at the start of the season for the league and maybe a few weeks ago I, I maybe changed my mind to, to Solihull but I think the way the Justin side of conducting themselves this year with two games in hand if they lose it you can only really blame themselves that is Adam Virgo and he pretty much agreed with you Chris and thinks that the bottom four will go down and he tipped Leighton Orient and then he, he kind of had a bit of a wobble when they were wobbling but I think he's he's got his heart set on Leighton Orient and I think are we all agreed that Leighton Orient probably are in pole position agreed yes absolutely excellent Done. Right, let's move on to... <laughs> that was easy enough. Let's move on to the National League North now. Hi, my name's Steve Claridge. You're listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast. And in the National League North, Chris, I think there's only one place to start, isn't there? And that's at the bottom of the table. Now, FC United, they won at Telford uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we thought, is this a springboard for them? They've since then took the lead at Curzon Ashton, lost the game. They were 3-1 up against 10-man York in midweek and conceded to draw the game. And then Saturday, they hosted bottom side on Eaton Borough. Surely they couldn't lose at home, could they, Chris? <laughs> well, yeah, um, you would have thought that, wouldn't you, uh, wouldn't you, Luke? And yeah, it was it, that was a huge shock, wasn't it? What a shock result! If you if you put them um, if you put them in a list at the end of the season, if you could pick five. Five standout results, that would be one of them. Unfortunately for FC United, obviously we know that FC United really struggling to to maintain their status in the National League North. But yesterday, by all accounts, was a, was a terrible performance then by them. Let's not take off any credit at all to Nuneaton Brother, uh, Borough, where things have really turned around off the pitch in recent weeks as well. And they've sort of um, secured their short-term status at least. But... I saw the interview with uh, with FC boss Neil Reynolds at, at the end of the match and I've, I've very rarely seen a more devastated manager. He was apologising to everyone and he was talking about going to Darlington next week and he said he's not afraid to put the under-21s out because he was really bitterly disappointed with the performance of his players yesterday. Quite a surprise that one, after the, the performance he put in against Telford the other week. Well, yeah, I mean, I look back through the form tables this morning and um, I think that's... That was only FC United's only win in their last 10. They must have been looking at that one yesterday as a, as a chance to, to close the and just sort of keep themselves um, not quite head above water, but but at least, you know, still swimming for their lives. Yeah, that, that result's a huge blow for them. I think the gap's gone out to six points now. Guys leave a game in hand, which I think is on Tuesday night away at Spennymoor, so... You wouldn't necessarily think that Geisley would get anything there, but Spennymore in dreadful form as well at the moment. But yeah, that that result could be a, a real hammer blow for FC United. We'll get on to Spennymore in a minute because Geisley, they had a vital win during the week against Curzon Ashton. Uh, goal scored by Alex Perver and, and Chris was there and he caught up with Alex Perver after the game. Alex, man of the match performance, fantastic game. Uh, goal as well. Uh, how do you rate your performance? <laughs> yeah, it was good. Collector's item. I'd like to get more goals, yeah. I'd like to get more goals um, from midfield, but no. Pleased with my performance, but yeah, like I was saying, ple- more pleased with the, with the three points. Really, really important game for us tonight, um, as they all are going to be on this running. So really, really pleased to help uh, with my performance, getting us the three points. On the first half an hour, the first half indeed, you, you were all over them, weren't you? And... Um, 
were you disappointed going in at half time without without going in front? Yeah, I think like you say, the first half an hour it was they were real backs to the wall. Their, their players on the pitch were even looking at each other, thinking, "Let's try weather this storm." And we kept going, we kept going. Obviously, hit the bar, had one off the line, continuous pressure. And where we are in the league, you know, people start to look around. Is it going to be one of them nights? But it wasn't. So full credit to us, I think, that we, we came out in the second half with the same impetus, the same intensity, and uh, and then got got the result that I feel we deserved, really. Has the squad been feeling the pressure? Because you haven't been able to get them goals, you haven't been able to get them wins. I, I don't know if it's the pressure, it's just a frustration. I think that it's been an interesting season where obviously we're, we're at the wrong end of the table, but we've not lost loads and loads of games. We've drawn 15 games, so you're coming out of games going... We've been all right tonight. Like we've actually been all right today. Or we've been all right tonight. We've just not got that that little killer edge, that winning goal, or holding on at the end of games. So it was just a little bit of that. It's just been, I think, a bit of frustration. So I think you could see the release from all the boys when obviously we got the goal tonight, and then to 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 hold on and limit them to a few chances was was pleasing. And other results have gone your way tonight. Do you think you can stay clear now of that of that danger zone? That's the aim. Yep, that's the aim. Like you say, uh, seven left. So yeah, that's everyone's so together as a group in there. You know, it's an absolutely fantastic group of lads and real, real togetherness. And that's that's our aim. Pulling away from from where we feel we shouldn't be. Um, and yeah, climbing up the league, climbing away from from that that uh, bottom three. That was a geyser goal scorer, Alex Perver and Chris. That was a massive win for them. We were saying that they hadn't scored for a while. They finally did score, got the three points, and then they backed it up on Saturday with a one-one draw against York, coming from behind. Yeah, absolutely. The tension inside that stadium was unbelievable on Tuesday night. It was. Uh, because in fairness, they absolutely they battered Curzon for the first half an hour of that game. They hit the woodwork a couple of times. They were they were having shots from all all kinds of distances, all kinds of ranges. But it just wasn't going in in for them. And I'll be honest, on Tuesday night, I sat there and I thought they're not going to score today. It just felt like one of those games where they're not going to score. I think uh, our friend of the podcast, Tom Feeney, had worked out it was something like 535 minutes <laughs> since they scored the last goal, and about the same and, number uh, of shots. I think by all accounts as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When it, when Alex Perver finally did the, get that goal, the release of energy was uh, was was quite something in the stadium. Yeah, they were they were delighted with that victory. Curzon gave good shot, but I think Curzon now with with their status assured, pretty much for next season, were um, didn't have that. Well, they didn't need that last cutting edge that that guys they were absolutely absolutely desperate for, and they followed it up yesterday with that with that one all draw against York after going behind as well. Yeah, that moves and six points clear now and another great result you mentioned it before Rich about Spennymore they, they've really hit the buffers they lost 2-0 at home to Hereford and, and Hereford have probably almost assured safety now as well with that result yeah I think they have now that's taken Hereford up to 45 points which is sort of you know nominally the, the mark you'd kind of say is 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 just enough to keep you safe, and and Hereford on a really really good run actually. I think they're in the form tables that they're they're actually been really over the last ten games. Spennymoor going completely opposite direction. They're winless in their last six. I think that's something like their fifth defeat in their last six as well. And yeah, I I followed up, listened to Jason Ainsley's interview after the game. They said they started brightly, created some chances, but then didn't take them, and then. Uh, conceded from pretty much the first shot that that Hereford had on goal. Uh, sounded he was like he was somewhat frustrated with the players. Said that you know not enough of them were taking responsibility. Admitted that their confidence was low and said you know they just had to stick together and 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 show a bit more desire. But so strange. A few weeks ago we were talking about Spennymore as dark horses possibly still for the title with Stockport and Chorley and that it wasn't a two horse race, it was a three horse race. And now all of a sudden, with the with the dip in form that they're in, I've seen one or two Spennymore fans saying, Well, you know, look at lot as as provided we can still finish in the top seven, much the expectations change over just such a short period short period of time. Yeah, Chris, I mean they were they were flying until they went to Edgley Park and got beaten and then as I say they've hit the buffers a little bit and but they did this exactly the same time last year and Jason Ainsley said, Well we've learnt from it our trip trophy exploits we won't let it happen again but it is happening again yeah it's really it's sad isn't it that it is happening again since that loss at county they've lost three and drawn two and before then the you know Chorley County and Spennymore were just winning game after game and you wondered who was gonna who was gonna slip up and unfortunately for Spennymore and Jason Ainsley it has been them as as Rich said you know the um 
they said they were shooting themselves in the foot again. And he, but he did talk about his players in that interview, and he said he could leave nine out on his on Tuesday night as well. So he wasn't the normal chirpy Jason Ainsley that that we're used to, and um, you can understand why because after the frustrating time towards the end of last season, as you said, Luke, it is happening again. Talking of the top of the division. Charlie, they, they drew nil-nil at Chester. Ordinarily, that would be a good point. However, we stopped Put County breathing down the next day. They won 2-0 against Darlington. And they've got a game in hand. And they're now only two points behind. Yeah, it was a good day for, for County, definitely. And um, that Charlie results. Don't forget, Chester have got a really good home record since the, since the problems with it, that they did have with yeah. the ground. Well, with, that's, why um, I th- that's why I said ordinarily it would be a good point. But with the situation they're in, it, it might not be. Yeah, I, I think so. Don't forget that County have got to go to Chester as well a week on Tuesday um, County have also got to go to Chorley as well which is is, is certain, certainly um, looking like that could be a, a title decider no so yeah ordinarily a good point but in the context of the league title possibly not For from Stockport County perspective I was obviously there yesterday it was I would say it was a workman like performance it wasn't a free flowing performance Darlington I thought were good in the first half they had a lot of possession albeit not getting many shots on target, and that's possibly been their their downfall maybe this season. I'm not sure. I haven't seen them that many times, but they, they can certainly hold the ball, but didn't create too much. In the second half, Luke Trotman was sent off after after five minutes, and then um, County really sort of took over after then and uh, got the second goal. Dallinson did have a chance to get back into it when Harvey Saunders sort of fluffed his lines after after he was he was. Well, he was presented by the county defence an opportunity to score. And that was it. But dirty, it wasn't particularly pretty, but they did the business. Well, just sort of looking around. Um, no, I think one, um, what I ought to say about the spending more result as well is is give Hereford some credit there and say that it's not collapsing because I'm sure we'd have any Hereford listeners saying, well, you know, there were two teams playing in that, that particular game. So, um, yeah, credit to them. Just looking around the rest of the league, not a lot stands out, really. I think altering and beating Kidderminster, that sort of further the cements Altrincham's place in the playoff spots and just makes that task just that little bit harder for Kidderminster as well. You said about Chester there and surely I listened to um, Anthony Johnson's post-game interview and he's still talking quite bullishly about Chester and says he still believes that they'll be in the playoffs. Uh, they're not too far behind but they're going to start picking up a few more wins sooner rather than later I think. Lamington sort of pretty much moved fairly clear of the, of the drop zone now so I think that he's in. but yeah I think, that, I think yesterday feels like it was a day that was afflicted by exactly the kind of nerves you get at this point of the season where people teams you know they can see the finish line and they know what they need to do but 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 just don't seem to be able to get it done it was deadline day as well across the the non-league pyramid and, and Chris there was a couple of really interesting signings across the National League North wasn't there yeah there was a, a couple in particular that did catch my eye one was Sean Tooten so he was going from Spennymore that we were just talking about to Chorley and which is an interesting one because we know all know the the qualities of Sean Tootin. He's a very creative player, but he wasn't really getting a huge amount of game time at Spennymore, which made me find, which I thought was interesting that they'd sold him to potentially one of their um, promotion rivals in in Chorley. Whether that was a sign that Spennymore don't think they um, Chorley are a, a rival anymore. It was interesting that Chorley have seen something in Tootin. Uh, the other one was Jason Gilchrist who's gone from Southport to Stockport County. Hasn't set the world on fire this season at Southport but in previous seasons for Southport, for FC United, he's been for me one of the best strikers in the league. Uh, he did get 40 minutes yesterday and he didn't look like the old Jason Gilchrist so it might take a little bit of time or a little bit more game time for him to, to get a bit sharper, but uh, it, that could be a significant signing. We'll move on now to the National League South. Hi, I'm Harry Wheeler, and you're listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast. And in the National League South, somebody who's got a keen eye on the title race is Harry Salvage. He reports on Tarky for BBC Radio Devon, and he gave me his thoughts on how he thinks the title race will go and the resurgence at Torquay since Gary Johnson's come in. They started off the season not conceding and not scoring. Gary always went. Gary Johnson's come in, done a fantastic job. A two-horse race at the top now. We're woken. They play each other in about three weeks, I think. Title two weeks. So it's a title decider. And do you think Torquay will prevail? I think they will do. I Especially after this weekend. Um, but look, we'll go back to the beginning of the season where under Gary Hours they didn't score a single away goal under Gary Owls yeah. and you're kind of looking at that team going on they've not scored a single away goal uh, lost to Chippenham at home and some, some big 
point but dropped at yeah. home at Playmore and if you don't get your home support mm. well, where's your away support yeah, gonna, exactly. gonna come with you especially as it's, they had the longest journey of the season to Concord <laughs> Rangers on Saturday and still had a good, had a yeah. good away following but beginning of the season just didn't seem to click and then that first game at Hungerford it just seemed like everything just seemed to be right and you felt yeah. right this team could push on let's see if they get the playoffs and then beginning of December beating Dartford and going okay the top of the table now let's see how long this can last um, fair, fair play to Woking to keeping up every single strength because yeah. uh, I've spoken to many people who've watched both Torquay and both Woking so Torquay are head and shoulders above uh, Woking but at the end both teams are human they were going to yeah. drop points we've seen it at the weekend where uh, Slough went to uh, Woking and picked up three yeah. points and as, as I said to some people at Torquay I would not want to face Slough when they've got nothing to play for yeah. because they're a horrible side yeah. when they've got nothing to play for because they'll go right let's go off and, and ruin your party mm. um, type thing so it w- that game at uh, the Lathwaite Community Stadium or Kingsfield whichever mm. way you want to call it will I definitely feel will be the uh, decider of who will go up. may not determine who will go up exactly on the day. As we know, it's a, football's a funny old game. You could see Woking pick up the points against Bath and Torquay pick up nothing at all. What difference have you noticed with Gary Johnson coming in? Is it just the positivity he uses? We've had him on the podcast and he's kind of, he's almost said, we'll just let the players go out and play. Yeah, he's, he's done a bit of that. He's uh, taken out some dead wood. The players are enjoying life. That's one thing I don't think they did under Gary. Yeah. I, was, I don't think they were enjoying life. I saw something on on, uh, on Twitter the other day of uh, Mitch Yefferto, who's now a Billericay. Uh, so one of the fans asked him uh, do you want to be reunited with Gary Hours anytime soon and they were just laughing crying face <laughs> emojis he's asked him just to go out and play and yeah. you can tell that the positive mentality they've, they've worked on the set piece routines they've worked on everything so much and as I said when that first game under Gary Johnson away to Hungerford I remember it so well and you're going this is a different team to the one I saw last time. Mm. Last time, this team is playing football. They're knocking the ball around well. They're giving Hungerford yeah. no time whatsoever. Uh, I think it was only two 0 that day, but you could just see an improvement straight away. Well, we'll look forward to seeing how the, the title race unfolds. Um, thanks very much for joining us. No worries. And Rob can't be with us this week, but he has sent us his National League South review for us. Starting as always at the top end of the National League South, it's uh, pretty much a two-horse race now for the title between Woking and Torquay, and it's an advantage the Gulls after this weekend's games uh, they managed to secure a 3-2 win at home to Wealdstone who'd not lost on their travels since November always just ahead in the game uh, Wealdstone pegged the talkie back a couple of times and there was a bit of 15 minutes of squeaky bum time I think at the end when talkie were 3-2 up and also missed a penalty during that period but they hung on three precious points and uh, meanwhile Woking well They looked for a long time that they were going to win and take all three points from a difficult tie away to Bath yesterday. Um, They took an early lead with uh, Max Kretschmar uh, slotting home after being set up by Kieran Cadogan, who's obviously on loan from Sutton. 72 minutes in, Andy Watkins levelled for Bath. That keeps them well in the playoff hunt too for Bath. So... At the top of the table, Torquay now have a four-point lead and a game in hand, which means that in some respects, were they to go and win at Woking next weekend, that would then be seven points and a game in hand. And I think with sort of seven, eight, nine games left for most teams in that league, that would pretty much be the title be done. I'm sure Alan Dowson and Woking will... uh, have other thoughts on that and how they can uh, actually use that match next week to uh, reduce the gap. Below them, in the chase for the playoff positions, Welling remain third. They got themselves a good 1-0 win away from home. Anthony Achapong scoring pretty late on, but uh, a good three points for Steve's King side, who uh, secured the services of Mo Betema in the week from Barnet. My goodness me. He's well-travelled this season, having been at uh, Braintree, Barnet and now Welling. Chelmsford are fourth and they got themselves a home win against Oxford City yesterday. 2-1, pretty comfortable. Uh, Oxford City scoring a consolation in the uh, final minute. Dartford were held one all at home by Truro City. Elliot Bradbrook levelling after Grimes had put Truro in front early on. And Billericay, well, they are grimly hanging on to seventh place now. It was uh, another draw for them yesterday. Two all at Dulwich Hamlet in front of another record crowd at Champion Hill. 3,243 spectators 
packed in there at Champion Hill and my goodness knows how much beer was sold on the day. Uh, on the pitch, it was a late comeback for Dulwich with uh, Billericke looking set really after two first half goals from Kizzy and Emmanuel. Akinyemi with an 80th minute penalty and Magnus Okuongai, the former Dagenham player, scoring a 90 plus five to send the majority of that massive crowd home happy. Concord Rangers remain just one place and one point outside those National League South playoff positions. After a comfortable 3-0 home win against Western Supermare yesterday, Jack Midson, the assistant manager, getting them off and running in the 19th minute, and they never really looked back. Looking at the bottom end of the National League South, Western Supermare plumb bottom 25 points and gone to all intents and purposes. Other than that, it's uh, really three sides from seven that will go down. So obviously uh, a key point for Dulwich Hamlet. Hampton and Richmond sucked further into uh, the possibilities of relegation thanks to a 3-0 home defeat to Hungerford yesterday. What a week it's been for Hungerford Town. Ian Herring's men pulling off a, a remarkable away win there particularly given the circumstances where they are going to be looking for a new chairman, secretary and treasurer for the next season. After the uh, the club's owners, who are the fans, made the not to take voluntary relegation from step two next season. But uh, they desperately, desperately need more help off the pitch there uh, to sustain football at that level. And uh, well done, Hungerford Town, on that win and still continuing to punch above their weight, as they've done for many a year now. East Thurrock got themselves uh, a vital three points. All the goals coming in the second half as they beat Chippenham 2-1. And for Gloucester City, well, they went down 1-0 at home to Welling. That leaves them in a very precarious position, just inside the bottom three. Truro's point probably seemed like a huge one. It's enough to keep them out of the relegation positions. And Eastbourne Borough, well, you've got to feel for them and you've got to feel for Charlie Walker, who scored a double for them yesterday. But it wasn't enough. And uh, ultimately, they went down to a 3-2 defeat at Hemel Hempstead, who uh, themselves are competing uh, in the mid-table, really, this season. Elsewhere, another two-all draw between two mid-table sides, St Albans and Slough yesterday so that rank wraps things up from the national league south and of course we've got that uh, big big game coming up next weekend uh, woking against torquay and we'll have representation there in the form of uh, bbc sport commentator gav dennison who will kindly give us his feedback on that one next week and that was rob's review of the national league so we're gonna have a quick look now at step three and rob once he's finished at the Aldershot game, headed down to a special little club. They've had a fantastic rise over the last few years. It was Hartley Wintney, and Rob turned up there. He spoke to Hartley Wintney's secretary, Elaine Dudridge. Very kindly been joined for the NL Full-Time Podcast by Elaine Dudridge, who's the secretary of Hartley Wintney. Whilst you're a very, very hard-working secretary, I know, you must also be quite a proud lady with just how far this club has come, particularly oh, in recent years. Immensely proud, immensely proud. We've come sort of six step six five four three you know and we haven't had a chance to breathe or or take it all in quite yet so it's just amazing just amazing a lovely atmosphere in the ground today ultimately it was it was defeat for the boys on the pitch but so much more to a match day for yourself and uh, i think you said to me on the phone yesterday you, you you'd be lucky if you see five or ten minutes of a game i lied to you i didn't even see that didn't even see that. Maybe maybe a minute just before kickoff, uh, and that was my lot. We like to welcome everyone to Hartley. We're a, we're a family club. We're a friendly club. We enjoy the football. We enjoy the buzz. We enjoy welcoming people here, and I hope everyone else has had a good day apart from the score. <laughs> yeah, and the hardest thing for you with such rapid rise and successive promotions is with every league you go up to, there's a whole new set of ground grading and a whole new set of shopping list of things you've got to get done. So you can't necessarily spend the money where you want to spend it, but you've got to spend yeah. it on what you've got to spend on. Indeed. I mean, the lads on the pitch have um, have worked hard to, to get to this level. So behind the scenes, we have to work harder to make sure that's where we stay. Um, so that means another round of ground grading each time you get a promotion. 
um, and it's more money that, that drains the club away from things that we want to do. Mm. Um, we want to expand our, our facilities for, for the disabled. We're, 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 as a club, we are a bungalow. Everything's on one level. Mm. But we'd like to smooth it out a wee bit, you know, and just make it a pleasanter experience for those that, that do frequent the club more, more frequently than the teams that rock up here once a season. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, ground grading uh, has prevented us from doing that. Um, but it, it's a necessity to continue playing football at the level we are. Um, it's a bit of a catch-22. Some of it I can understand, some of it I really can't. And it's getting a lot of press just lately with the size of referees changing rooms. Mm. A lot of rumours out there I've seen on other clubs' forums that, that we haven't got that in place. Yes, we do, mm. and we always have. Um, that's not our issue. We have to put more seating in, which uh, mm. is well under construction. Mm. Uh, we have an inspection uh, early next week and we're very hopeful that everything will be all right. Fantastic. And uh, final question, how long have you personally been involved with the club alone? <laughs> uh, personally, uh, on and off, um, probably about 30 years, but mostly it's my, my other half who is the chairman mm. um, and he came here as a player and has probably covered every role between player and chairman. Mm. Um, uh, it's in his blood. If you cut him in half, mm. it will say Hartley Whitney all the way through. Mm. There's quite a few of us like that, to be fair. Um, so, yes, a, a, a good stretch of time. Fantastic. And, and, and how much has it changed in that time? I mean, thinking back to 25, 30 years ago, did it look anything like this? It didn't look anything like this. Uh, not like this at all. In fact, I think our, our current A team, who play in the Aldershot and District League, would have been the same level that our first team were at. All that mm. time ago mm. um, so th that's the golf that 30 years can can make we've had to put in stands that we didn't have we, mm. we just had a, a low-level rail all the way around um, a famous our famous green hut if you speak to anyone in Hartley mm. Whitney our famous green hut uh, which was our changing room and our bar and it was just it everything. Was everything yeah yeah um, a great atmosphere the atmosphere has just never changed it's just got bigger and better which oh it's lovely Elaine thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to your continued progress pleasure and that was Hartley Whitney's secretary Elaine Dudridge what a fantastic club what fantastic work they all seem to be doing there at the club however it did end in defeat for them on Saturday they lost to Weymouth and Rob caught up with the victorious manager Mark Mosley well podcast this is in the background you can probably hear some of the 250 Weymouth fans that travelled up to Hampshire today applauding their side off. It's a 3-0 win at Hartley Wintley. And Mark Mosley, three points, clean sheet. Good afternoon's work for you. Yeah, it's a, it's a job well done from the boys today. Um, you know, I really have to take my hat off to them today because you can see it's difficult conditions. And when you know when you got here, it's, it's bonard, it's dry, it's bobbly. Um, it's probably not very um, good for our, 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 the way we play but um, you know the boys shown that you know any environment any surface they can deal with you know we so um, yeah delighted I thought it was a real professional uh, performance from the boys they had to show a lot you know, a lot of desire a lot of grit and all the characteristics we're going to need from now to the end of the season um, like I said it's a job well done today but we turn our attentions quickly now to choose it looked to me like this is an old school view but uh, you know the teams I play for we always said the same thing go out there and win the battle, grind them down, and eventually you'll earn the right to play. And that's what it looked like to me. I didn't see much of the first half in fairness. I travelled from elsewhere, but um, once that second goal went in, two goals in three minutes, it, 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 it really knocked the stuffing out of Hartley, who'd been competing well with you up to that point. Yeah, definitely. Look, this, this league throws up, you know, no game's easy. Every game brings a different challenge, and look, Hartley a good side. You know, the pitch was obviously going to be a bit of a problem for us, but, you know, the way we dealt with it, um, you know, we had to do the less glamorous side of the game really well today, which, which we did. We competed well. I think we won a lot of first contacts, second balls, and done the dirtier side really well. And, and we had to, you know. Our, our goals were from our energy and our press mm. and, and winning the ball back high up, and, and that's, that's what you know, stood us in good stead. But, um, like I said, this, it was a tough game, really tough game. That's why you know, I'm, I'm, I'm relieved and delighted to, 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 to come away with three points and a clean sheet. I think when you see the other results, you'll be even more relieved because, to the best of my knowledge, Mark, mm. as I record this, I think that Taunton the Met Police have both won as well so that keeps the equidistance at the top and if I understand correctly Met Police are coming down to Weymouth on Tuesday night yeah that's right it promises to be a, a, an exciting night at a Bob Lucas um, you know two top of, top of the table clash Met Police have done phenomenally well this year and you know I just hope that we, we carry on this good form and that we always usually perform well in, in, in the big games it seems to bring out the best in us and especially Tuesday night under the light we've had some of our stronger performances so um, you know hopefully that will follow in uh, familiar fashion and um, you know, and, and enjoy the game. But 
you know we've got to, we've got to recover well from this one because it's an energy sapping pitch and the boys have worked hard today but I'm sure uh, once they get their lactic acid out of their legs tomorrow they'll be fit and raring to go for Tuesday because you know when you when you're winning and you're in confident mood you just want to keep playing you know them lads you know they'll probably play tomorrow if they could and it's not beyond the realms of possibility we won't get ahead of ourselves but mm. you're top of the table you could go up if you do you'll be playing Aldershot next season. That's a staggering thought, isn't it, Mark? Well, I think there's, there's no bigger carrot for our players to, you know, to one, to get promoted and two, to, to go and play the likes of, of Aldershot and, and other big clubs which are in that league. So, look, the, the prize is there, but we can't have too many of our eyes on the prize yet. Was, you know, we've got to stick, keep our feet on the ground, stick to our process, stick to our way of doing things, taking each game as it comes and, and sticking to our, our philosophy. Um, you know, it, it stood us in good stead so far, but there's still so much to, to go yet. So we've just got to make sure we remain level-headed. And that was Mark Mosley. And that is it for this week's podcast. Thank you very much for listening. As I said, a very packed one this week. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify, and then you'll get it uploaded to your device every week. And also follow us at NL Full Time, or you can email us nlfulltime at gmail.com. Enjoy your football watching, whatever you are doing over the next week and we shall see you all next week.